Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod, and we're here for our post-game show in Kentucky where Michigan State Upsets number four, Kentucky, 86-79 in double overtime. I was not able to watch this live, so I just finished watching this. And I guess I don't know where to begin, Rod. I mean, I guess we could just begin with the sort of improbability of this game. Because I think when we were doing the pregame, our expectation was that it was going to be a tough game. Obviously, Kentucky's a loaded team, probably the best team we think that are going to, that Michigan State faces this year. And Shebway is so good that... Our, I mean, I think my impression was is I thought we had, they had a chance if Shebway didn't play a whole lot because he was coming off the injury and the surgery. But if he played a full starter's minutes, which he did this game, that really it'd be re- a really tough slog for Michigan State to pull out. So uh, I guess I, well, I guess what are your thoughts? I mean, I just I'm still kind of speechless about <laughs> what I just witnessed. I, look, I, I I'm gonna start with the headline and then work from there. Um, <laughs> we picked Michigan State second in the big 10 in our season preview. And I'm sure there were a lot of Michigan state fans, a lot of listeners of this podcast that probably thought we were being overly optimistic. Um, I think we might've, we might've underestimated how good they can be. And I don't just mean that I think they're capable of winning the big 10 because I do now. I absolutely do. It doesn't mean they will, but are they capable of it? Yeah, based on what I believe the other Big Ten teams to be and what they've already shown and then figuring in that it's highly likely that this will be a typical Michigan State team that gets better as they go. Um, I think all that's possible. But we're seeing signs that this could be a team that actually doesn't have to sell itself short in terms of its goals, that doesn't have to think about, well, you know, this is a nice year and maybe we can have a solid season and make a run to the second weekend and, um, and set it up for next season when all those glittery freshmen arrive. Right. right? I I think, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is a final four caliber team yet or anything like that. What I am saying though, is right now, if you are Tom Izzo and if you are a Michigan state player and yes, if you are a Michigan state fan, I think based on what we've seen over the last, what would it be, uh, 96 hours or so from Friday (laughs) to now, exactly. um, there is no reason to think that this team should not go into every game it plays thinking it has a chance to win. They have played two top five teams currently, according to the rankings, 
And in my opinion, I would say two top 10 teams. I, I don't think Gonzaga is the number two team in the country, but do I think they're probably going to be a top 10? Yeah. Um, and Kentucky, I'm still, even after this, I'm still of the opinion that that is my favorite to win the national title, not by a massive amount, but they are, I think, the best, the team best equipped. And you did see, even in them losing this game, you saw some of the reasons why. Oh, yeah. I mean, if that's, if that's the first game back for, for, for Tshebway without a lot of practice. <laughs> He's pretty good. Yeah, and and Wheeler for stretches of that game showed you why I think he's the best point guard in America. I mean, I thought he was really good at times, but at other times, Michigan State's guards showed that they're pretty good too. Um, But given that I don't think Kentucky's a fraud at all, I think Kentucky's legit. So what does that say about Michigan State? Um, They got a lot to prove yet. (laughs) <laughs> we're we're at what is it november 15th yeah uh yeah i mean there's a there's a long way to go and just as we say when they lose you don't win anything in november or when they win you don't win anything in november but have they shown at the very least that there is no reason to sell themselves short on anything in terms of goals this year yes i believe they have yeah and i would say that and I would say the one obvious thing too is, uh, you look at this team and you and we've seen the Michigan State team before where they play really well and then the next game they kind of not lay an egg but just they don't seem to come up with that same intensity. Yeah, they seem stuck in the mud early in the game and maybe, but so did Kentucky in many respects. But they show the same sort of grit and determination that they had yeah. in the carrier against Gonzaga. It looked like the same team. I mean, different players play differently, but they were they came at it and they didn't seem afraid. Absolutely. hundred percent. And that is just as we talked about coming out of the Gonzaga loss, that that was the thing that was most important in my opinion was the way they fought the toughness, the effort that they played with. We saw exactly the same thing tonight against a bigger, stronger, tougher opponent. So it's, it's one thing to say, okay, you do that against Gonzaga which is not really that type of team. I mean, Gonzaga found a reservoir of toughness in the second half, I thought. But, um, you know, Gonzaga is not a team that that traditionally, or their team this year, really wows you with their physical stature. They're about skill set, precision, execution, those things. Kentucky, as you saw, has guys. I mean, they have guys, just as we said in the preview, that are put together they have athletes all over the lineup and Michigan State stood in there and went head to head with them and won and beat them at that game in my opinion that is going to translate and I I just I can't and that doesn't mean they're going to win every game and that doesn't mean they're going to play at this level every time out but man when you do that and you see the results there's, there's no reason to play any other way. And I think, I think that this team can do that. I really do. I mean, there is, there's a toughness about this group that is really, really impressive. And the other thing that we ought to start thinking very seriously about, and I heard Tom Izzo say it in his post game, this is looking to me, to potentially be back to real Michigan State defense. Yes. And and Madi Sissoko has a whole hell of a lot to do with that. 
but he's not the only one. That perimeter group had some issues in the first half with Wheeler, really struggling to contain him, keep him out of the lane. That stopped for a large bit of the rest of the game. So hats off to those Michigan State guards. Hats off to Malik Hall, who spent, and and I want to, I'm not calling anybody out specifically, but there was a lot of talk in the immediate lead up to the season that Malik Hall would have issues defensively playing the three. Mm -hmm. Tonight, he locked down C.J. Frederick. C.J. Frederick, a guy I believe is one of the best shooters in the country, in their first two games, I think was shooting 60%. Yeah. From three on a not insignificant volume. No, he was 50%. He was six for 12. Um, and he did, he's done that his whole career. One for six. Most of that. His one hit was on that transition, right? I mean, that That's was right. one that That's was, right. yeah, wasn't a half exactly sports right. set. That's the one time he got a clean look. Um, Malik Hall, tremendous. Joey Hauser playing the best defense of his life. There was a big play in that second overtime where Wheeler got called for a travel. Yep. It was, uh, he was coming down the lane and Tyson Walker was guarding him and Tyson Walker did a great job moving his feet. But in my opinion, what caused the travel was Joey Hauser sliding over just enough to break Wheeler's momentum and force him into the walk. He made solid defensive plays all night long. I mean, he guarded, he guarded the top and kid and he has, he's a good player. He shot three for eight from the floor with Joey Hauser guarding him pretty much all the time. Cause Joey rarely came off the court. In right. that game. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing too, man, iron men, some of the minutes these guys played, I mean, it was a 50 minute game. Tyson Walker, 46 minutes. Joey Hauser, 46 minutes. Malik Hall, 42. Um, Mati Sissoko, 33. Who would have ever believed? I was probably about as bullish, you and I, about as bullish on Mati Sissoko's prospects as anybody in the fan base, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I never would have, never in a million years would I have believed he would come through these two games against, I think, the two best guys he's going to face. There's some good ones in the Big Ten yet to come, but if you're asking me to rank them, it's some order of Timmy and and Tashebway at one and two nationally. So he's played the best guys there are to play. And what has he done? He had 14 and nine against Timmy and fouled out. He had uh, 16, 16 and eight, eight. yeah, <laughs> against Tashebway and did foul out. And Tashebway fouled out. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, Marty made huge plays at both ends um, in the in the overtimes and throughout Defensive the game plays. Yeah. But I mean, especially he loomed. He loomed large. Look, the reality is we spent a lot of time and, and I believe for good reason talking up Kentucky's size, even if the didn't play at all or played a limited role. Um, I will admit to maybe getting a little ahead of myself in that one because the facts on the ground were when he was out of the game and Mahdi was out there against any of those other guys, Mahdi was dominating them. Yeah. And that's crazy. what you saw. Yeah. You saw in the second overtime when Shebo fouled out, they just, they had no answer. 
you know, body just, and granted, you know, they weren't the, the toughest plays to complete, but nevertheless, you know, with Walker penetrating and just lobbing it up, Mahdi taking care of business, Mahdi hitting free throws, Mahdi making steals, Mahdi blocking shots, Mahdi grabbing rebounds. I mean, really impressive stuff. But but anyway, to bring it back to my point, I think we need to start seriously considering the fact that this could be a typical Tom Izzo defensive unit, which we have not seen for you know three years the last two seasons we haven't seen it the last time we saw a typical tom Izzo defensive team was uh the covid year was cassius cassius winston senior year you know with with xavier tillman kind of as the quarterback of it this group is different than that one that one was really good i think in part because they had a superlative defensive quarterback in tillman one -hmm. of the smartest guys Izzo's ever had in my opinion um, at the defensive end, certainly. Um, this team doesn't have that kind of presence, but across the board, you are seeing guys who were good getting better and guys who had issues getting be- in the past getting better. And right now, you know, I- I'm not saying they're a perfect defensive team, but this group is better than I anticipated they'd be maybe at any point this season. They've just gotten done holding i believe i'd have to go back and look i think gonzaga might have gotten up to just about 40 percent from the floor in that game but we can write that one off a little bit because of the weather and all that stuff yeah yeah, right but this kentucky team you might not believe me because of the way <laughs> it looked but this is a this is a team i think is going to be very very good offensively and yeah. michigan state held them to 38.6 percent from the floor um and uh, 28% from three. That's, that's something. I think the most impressive, yeah, the most impressive thing, and just to stay on Sissoko just a little bit longer, you know, when you, if you want to compare him to Tillman and, and just in the sense that, you know, uh, interior defender who's doing really well, uh, Tillman grew into that role over the span of a year and a half. I mean, it was, he played lots of minutes. Yes. He wasn't playing like, you know, 20 minutes a game, but he was playing like 10, 12. And so he was getting his feet wet all throughout. And he became the player that he is today, you know, through that experience. I mean, Mahdi's a guy who at best you could say played spot minutes, maybe last year, he would hardly, he'd make cameo appearances for the most part. And for what he's doing now. And I think, you know, I'm watching him and thinking, what is this guy going to become by the end of the season? Because you know that Kohler is going to get better, and he looked better today, even though he, he did. didn't score any he did. points. He didn't look as, uh, you know, uh, he didn't look as it, lost. He, held, he Co- held up. Cooper looked okay too. You know, I mean, this is going to be this team could be really uh, this could be a really dangerous team. Like I, much more so than I thought. I mean, I was very hopeful that the five spot would look, would be, work out pretty well for us. I am feeling, you know, barring injury, I'm feeling really confident that this is this may actually be. If, it, if a guard play wasn't so good, you might even argue it might be one of the strengths of this team. I mean, the, we've, we're strong on the wings and the guard and maybe even in the, in the middle. I, it's going to be hard to defend us. That's, that is why I'm saying one of the main reasons why I'm saying um, I think that people's understanding of what this team can be should shift. And that do, that does again. That doesn't guarantee anything. But what it means is what is realistically possible has changed. 
You yeah. cannot look at these, regardless of whether, you know, we know they're going to hit a lull at some point in the season because they always do. We know these things. But you've already seen, and by the way, I'm going to say this too, people don't, and, and it's not changed by what happened to this team against Colorado the other day. I still think Tennessee is loaded, and I still think Tennessee is going to be one of the best teams in the country when it's all said and done. Michigan State went down there in a scrimmage, and everything I was told went head-to-head with them for 40 minutes and lost, but in an extremely competitive showing. So add that one, because in my mind, I do, even though it didn't count. Add that one to these last two games, and the picture you are getting is a team that really should not think, or its fans should not think in terms of limitations. As you say, What's Mati Sissoko going to be come March? We've been saying all along, hey, it's not going to look in February and March the way it does in November. Well, if that holds true, look out, (laughs) because Mati Sissoko may turn into Oscar Tshebwe. But but seriously, I mean, again, he just got done playing the two best guys he's going to see this year, and he averaged – 15 and eight and a half and played a ton of minutes. I, yeah. I just, and did a really good, I mean, Tshebwe had numbers tonight, no question. He's really impressive. But if you watch that game, you know, Mati Sissoko held up, you know, Tshebwe didn't abuse him. He didn't own him the way I think many people feared he would coming into the season. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And when and when he had to sit, Mahdi took over. That's the thing that I don't think anybody saw coming. You and I were thinking, I believe, I'll speak for both of us, you can correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong, that probably the best case scenario was they get really solid defense and rebounding out of Mahdi and occasional point production off hustle plays or maybe the put back, a putback here and there, um, a do- an occasional lob but that you were basically just talking about being solid, being respectable, right? Yep. And that, and that the real hope for production, for actual points, would come from Jackson Kohler as he developed. Well, now we're finding out, no, no, no. Madi Sissoko can go get you points. Madi Sissoko, when he gets fouled, can go to the line and shoot six of eight in a <laughs> yeah. big-time game, you know? Um, and by the way, he was six for 11 against Gonzaga in the wind. So we're talking about a guy who was sub 50% in limited opportunities last year. All of a sudden, if, if he's even a 65% shooter from the line, that's huge. Cause he's going to get fouled. We've seen enough to know that now. Um, I, I just, yeah, he, that spot is the one that's got me thinking, you have to take the limitations as to what this team can be away for now. They might compel us to put some limitations back on, but I don't think they will because the things that they're doing to bring it back around to where we started, the effort, the toughness, the tenacity, and the level of defense that they're playing, the connected way they're playing defense, uh, that shouldn't go away. No question. I mean, let's talk about the other the other obvious ones. Joey Hauser kept kept us in the game in the first half. He kept it close, uh, and then it ended up with the lead. 
and Malik Hall consistent. I mean, both those guys played good games. I think you could, I guess, quibble with Hall, a couple turnovers that were kind of silly where he tried to get into the lane. But, uh, you know, overall, those guys played great. I mean, Joey Hauser, uh, 23 points, eight rebounds. Malik Hall had 20 points, five rebounds, two of those offensive. Uh, those guys, uh, I, I don't, I, mean, I guess I don't know what to say, except that they, they're providing what we had hoped they would do. And then this is all... And the, the other thing that we're not even we haven't mentioned is Jaden Akins was starting to look a little bit like Jaden Akins this game. Uh, yes. And, yes. and you think what, you know, what more can he be too? I mean, that's, that's another very important point. That is an area of major growth that I think we've yet to see with this team. You're right. He had some moments in this game that reverse he hit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, and then a play that he got fouled on, where he, and I can't remember which kid was guarding him, but Jaden, uh, uh, the move was incredible. It was a pro move off the dribble. Just put the kid in a torture chamber and dusted him. And and the only thing that stopped a bucket was a foul. He got yeah. grabbed by, I think it was by Ware, if I remember right. Um, but you saw those glimpses of, oh, this is why they're so excited about Jaden Akins. And, and yeah, you're going to see growth there. And, and by the way, he's going to get better at the defensive end too, because although he's been decent, I don't think he's fully back there yet either. When he gets back to what he can be defensively, that perimeter group gets even better at that end. Um, bring it back around to Hall and Hauser though. Uh, this is what you want from your seniors and what you expect from them. Right. And both of these guys have had their issues with consistency. You don't have to go any further back than Friday night to see Joey uh, get taken out of the game by foul trouble and never get back in it mentally, in my view. But again, the shooting shooting is such an important part of his game that I kind of write that one off a little bit because of the conditions it's played in. In a gym, he's two for two. He played very well against Northern Arizona (laughs) and beyond that tonight. Malik Hall, um, arguably, we might look back and say both of his buckets to keep Michigan State alive, one at the end of regulation, one at the end of the first overtime, um, might be two of the bigger baskets anybody scores. Um, The first one, what both both plays i want to talk about both of those plays because if if you know if listeners know anybody or god help you if you are one of these people who <laughs> wants to talk about how oh tom Izzo's lost it the announcers still talk about how great he is and on out of bounds plays and they stink when's the last time they made a big play late you know i heard some of that stuff in the gonzaga game in the aftermath of that um, people might realize that it actually was a well-drawn-up play, which likely would have produced the shot they were looking for, but for Tyson Walker slipping. Okay, that happens. Doesn't mean the play design was bad. The plays that they designed and they called for those two situations, the first one in regulation, Malik Hall faking the screen. Kentucky, I, I think by Tao or Dan Schulman, one of the two, called it. You could see the Kentucky defender, and I believe it was the freshman, Wallace, if I remember correctly, 
who was really good defensively. I mean, the kid had, I think, eight steals tonight. Yeah, he was good. He was good. We talked about him as a as a lot potential lottery pick, and I think you saw why. Um, but he got faked out. He thought Malik was going to set a pick, and instead Malik cut wide open to the rim and scores. And it was an easy dunk, but the play design was tremendous. The second one at the end of the first overtime, I give Malik more credit, and here's why. Great play call. Michigan State has Tyson. Or AJ was inbounds, came back out of bounds and established himself. Tyson passes to him. So that's something you – I see other programs do it. I may be forgetting it. I can't remember the last time I saw Michigan State do that. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And then Tyson goes on a, on a wide receiver route. I think it was Joey sets just enough of a pick and his defender helped by falling, which created just enough room for AJ's pass over the top to hit Tyson in stride. So now you've got Tyson running in transition. He makes the right pass to Malik Hall. And here's how smart I am. I scream (laughs) when he catches it, shoot it because he was momentarily open for the three. But the smarter Malik Hall shot fakes, goes hard to the rim for another dunk to tie the game once again. So that one I give Malik even more credit for than the first one because that was a decision on the fly that was clearly the right one to make, and it came under pressure. So, again, this is a guy who gets knocked a lot. Both he and Hauser get knocked a lot by the fan base or have. And for them to show up in a game like this, do all the things you mentioned that they did, what I just, the two plays I just talked about, but then also add to that, I don't want this getting lost. The defensive job both of them did on very dangerous offensive players, uh, you got you to gotta tip your cap to them. I mean, they just played the way that you want seniors to play in big moments. And we've seen this before from Michigan State and Champions Classic games. I mean, I go back to the game Keith Appling had against Kansas. And and that's a season that I think could have ended in a national title if Keith hadn't been hurt. Yeah. You know, instead it ended in the Elite Eight. But he had a tremendous game as a senior. Denzel Valentine against Kansas again. Tremendous game as a senior. We've seen guys do these kinds of things before. I'm not saying that that either Joey or Malik are quite on the level of those two guys I just mentioned, but it's these kind of moments that you expect your seniors to step up. And quite frankly, neither one of them, more Joey than Malik, had great showings against Gonzaga. So for them each to bounce back, block out all the noise, and produce the way they did, man, that's... That is special stuff. So, and, and it really, it should be for both of them. You do something like that in this setting, your confidence should be soaring. You should believe that you can go out and do that against anybody. And you can. Yeah, there's no reason to think you can't. I mean, you've, because you, you've you proven it and you know that you're going to be getting better. Now, I I suppose you could say, well, Shebway was injured. He was just coming back. But the guy played started minutes. I mean, he played... 34 minutes. He didn't look like there was anything. He looked fine. I now, I will say this, you know, he had 18 rebounds. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but 
you know what? Nine for 17 from the floor. And that goes back to Marty. Yep. That's a good number. That's, that's not a problem. But nine, if you told me, eh, he's going to be one shot over 50% from the floor, I'd take it. Because right. that's a guy on the raw night could hang you with a 12 for 15. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that didn't happen. Even, even a lot of those makes he had were not easy. They came under duress. They were contested. You know, and that's as much as you can ask, you know, is make him work. And if you... If you look at and if you look at Madi too, when it comes to and we'll we'll get out to the keys of the game here in just a second, but with Madi, he was up strong. He was up. He stayed. He didn't fall for a lot of shot fakes, and uh, he was he just played solid defensively. I mean, two of his fouls were on moving screens, which I think was Hogard went early on one of them. And uh, yes, the first so one I, was on AJ. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, he played considering who he's going up against. It's pretty remarkable that he didn't foul out, or and he played very strong and and kudos to the to uh, the rest of the team for just surviving when he was out of the game for that uh, stretch near the end of the second half you know, I, I want to call attention to one more thing this is an interesting stat and hats off to Kentucky because their official box score is even more detailed than Michigan State's and it's got an interesting number um let me let me go to this because I want to I want to make sure I get this right um Okay, so this was a game, and they made they made mention of this that the the lead changed several times, mm-hmm. um, ten as a matter of fact. Uh, very competitive. I mean, it was really played in, I'd say, about a five point window for a lot of that game. Yeah, right. It seemed to always be ebbing between a you know maybe a one point or two point Michigan State lead and a four point lead for Kentucky. As it turns out. Kentucky's biggest lead was seven, which came early. It was um, 20 to 13. And then MSU went right on an 8-0 run and it, and Kentucky never had that kind of lead again. Michigan State's largest lead was the one they ended with yeah. by nine. Um, but here's an interesting stat. And it's, it's why this game was kind of the polar opposite of what we saw on Friday night. So we said 10 lead changes. The game was tied for nine minutes and 13 seconds out of 50. So about um, oh, what would that be? It'd be about twenty percent. Let's let's call it about eighteen percent of the game was um was played tied. That's a lot, actually. But but here's the stat that really leaps out at me: Kentucky actually led for thirty three minutes and twenty nine seconds. Michigan State led for seven minutes and seventeen <laughs> yeah. seconds. Now they never let Kentucky get away. That's the key. They never like, you know, there, there was one point kind of getting late in regulation. It might have been mm-hmm. with, I don't know, seven minutes or so left to play. Kentucky led by four, and I think they had the ball. And Shulman made the comment that it felt like this was a big possession, meaning yeah. Kentucky hits a shot here. They could start putting some distance there. And I, and I felt it, too. I think most Michigan State fans probably did because it was during one of those sequences where MSU just couldn't get anything going offensively. Um, but they didn't let, they didn't let that happen. They kept fighting. They kept checking. So Kentucky didn't get those buckets to create that kind of space and eventually allowed themselves time for the offense to catch up and execute and keep the minute that the, those numbers, the reason I'm, I'm referencing them is that shows phenomenal resiliency. 
yeah. we talk about the physical toughness they played with, but there is a mental toughness component to this as well. And we have seen Michigan State teams, at, every team has this happen, but we've seen Michigan State teams at times over the years reach those kind of tipping point moments and it goes the wrong way. Especially in these kind of games, we've seen it. Where, you know, they're, they're in a game for a while and then a team goes on a run and puts it. In fact, if I remember correctly, the Kansas game, last year had had some of those moments where Kansas just kind of at a certain point said, all right, enough playing around and created enough room to, to pull away. That didn't happen tonight. And that, that a lot of that is about Michigan state's resiliency, their mental toughness to keep playing the next play, you know, not get caught up in momentum shifts you know, just keep coming. And, and that's remarkable stuff. And it's also remarkable coming off, you know, losing a big time game that I think they all probably believe they deserve to win. I do too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just, just great, great stuff by Michigan state tonight. No, but that might be as significant as anything in my opinion. The one cautionary thing is you can get ahead of yourself. Like you said, you can't win the answer championship and get up to final four in November. So you can get ahead of yourself, say, oh, we're going to get a number one seed. We're going to cruise to the Big Ten. All kinds of things happen. We've seen that Denzel Valentine year, uh, senior year, where they had a fantastic November. Not that the team did badly, but it didn't end the way we wanted where the, you know, the early exit in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, things can happen so you can get too far ahead of yourself, but you got to like what you've seen so far. That's That's it. We're not talking about you know, nobody, and I'm, I'm putting myself in this category too, nobody is thinking seriously, hey, this is a, a national championship level team. But you've seen enough now to at least say, hey, these guys shouldn't go into any game they play thinking they can't find a way to compete and win it. They're, they're, we've seen enough, you know? Yeah, yeah they're going to lose other games. But that's not the issue. The issue is, do you have reason to believe that you can compete? You know, and I think most Michigans or a lot of the fan base in the offseason did not feel that this was going to be a team that that could think that way. Well, revise your thinking. You've seen enough now to at least be able to do that. And we'll see where it goes. I mean, there's still we're, we're talking about there's still untapped potential here. We are we are seeing we aren't <laughs> seeing anything close to a finished product. You know, they've got guys that Jaden Akins is better than you've seen so far. Um, you know, there are other guys, the growth in the freshmen where they will be from February to now. You know, I thought honestly tonight one of the few guys that I wasn't really all that impressed with. I thought Carson Cooper who played four minutes. I thought he was not up to the moment, which is not shocking. Yeah. You should expect that. I mean, he was minus eight when he was on the floor and, and honestly, he just really did not look like he was ready to play. Um, you know, Trey Holloman barely saw the floor after he had pretty good showings. His first two games, I thought, um, and Jackson Kohler, you know, he survived. He played nine minutes. Grabbed, uh, grabbed three rebounds, actually, so give him credit for that, and actually held up a little better against uh, Toshibwe than I think we would have expected. But yeah. those guys are all going to be different players come, come February. I mean, they just are. So, you know, and then 
I honestly think for good things that he has done, I don't think we've seen anything close to the best of A.J. Hogard yet. Yeah, he was not tonight. Yeah, for sure. He had moments. Moments, but like but moments of that you might pull your hair out. But he hasn't found him. He hasn't found a consistent level yet. And if he does, you know, again, that's another level this team can go up. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot to be enthused about. And I and I I can't prove this, but I would hope that my reaction after the Gonzaga game gives me some and my history on this podcast gives me some credibility. If Michigan state had lost this thing in overtime or double overtime, or even lost it regulation, I still would have been here feeling very, very good about their chances to really put together a nice season. I I would have, because they did enough win, lose or draw. They showed enough to make me believe that I think to make anybody reasonable, believe it. Yeah. The only difference is tonight they gave you 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 got to see them close a game out, which That's is the it. one thing you that one thing That's you well, well maybe they just can't close a game out, and now we've seen that they can. You're right, right. You're right, and that is important that they've now done that too. But I still would have been enthused about their yeah. potential. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's go through the keys of the game. So let's start with the defensive glass. And uh, while you've we've been talking here, I've been uh, doing some number crunching. So watching the game, I I don't know how about you, but when it comes to offensive rebounds that we give up, I everyone. Uh, just sort of pains me. <laughs> I feel my yeah. soul. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. Michigan State out rebounded Kentucky, 45 38, which was incredible considering that Shebway had 18. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, Kentucky had 12 offensive rebounds for a rate of 27.9%, which is pretty Phenomenal. good, especially Phenomenal. what you expect. And you look at Michigan State's offensive rebounding, they had 16 offensive rebounds and 41 missed shots for a rate of almost 40%, so 39%, which is. Excellent. Uh, you know, that is, uh, that's, that's what we're hoping for. And that may be a, to your point. Maybe this is starting to look like a little bit of sort of a different team. We had good rebounding at the wings, I thought. And, you know, Madi and, and this up the middle, as you'd expect, they were good. But I mean, everyone really chipped in with the rebounding, which was what's, what's going to take this year. Yeah, that, no question. Phenomenal. And look, they were really good in the first half against Gonzaga and the second half, It wasn't as good. A lot of that got inflated late by Timmy. Yeah. Um, It would have looked better, but for that, we know why that happened. Um, But this game against, again, a a team that I think is a better rebounding team for sure and has real physical tools and a dominant player. I mean, Tashebwe had six offensive rebounds, so he did the job. But Michigan State worked them when you add it up on yeah. the glass. And when you look at the numbers, you well, mentioned Aikens, seven with boards. Eight, Joey with eight. That that's all really good. And and Kohler even with three and limited minutes off the bench. But let's look at that much maligned by me, I'll add, perimeter group. <laughs> so Malik Hall, five rebounds. Not quite the seven he grabbed in each of the first two games, but still really good. You know, good enough from the three spot. He he did a nice job. AJ Hogard five. So again, he's had some issues, but he is still even in saying that. You know, a game where he goes one for seven from the floor and has five turnovers. He also had nine assists and he had five rebounds, all defensive. That yep. mattered. Um, Jaden Nakins seven rebounds, three offensive. 
That's the number I really like because that's a guy who I think has a real chance to, by himself, change that narrative around Michigan State and its defensive rebounding. I think Malik Hall is going to do the job that we've seen him doing. So he helps a lot. Playing him at the three gives you a quality rebounder at that spot. But if you've got Jade Nakins chipping in that way, and if A.J. Hogard keeps doing what he's been doing, all of a sudden, the big, big, big concern about defensive rebounding maybe isn't so big. And I could stop talking about it. <laughs> You'll never stop talking but about it. <laughs> no, I will. I will if, they, if if it's been solved. It won't be a key anymore. Um, if they solve it consistently, and the thing is, the, in the in the two games that have mattered, and and what I heard about Tennessee, I heard they did a pretty good job. They had a couple breakdowns on free throw box outs, but in general, and Tennessee, by the way, for those who don't know, is another very big team. Um, I heard they did a very good job against Tennessee in the scrimmage in general, overall. And then the first half against Gonzaga was very good. The second half wasn't, but there were some reasons for that. And then tonight, phenomenal. That To hold this Kentucky team to under a 30% rate and also do the job at your offensive end, almost 40, that's Michigan's. This was a vintage Michigan State Tom Izzo win. If you look at, I don't know if it feels that way to everybody, but it really was. They hold the opponent to under 40% from the floor. They out-rebound them. They play with toughness, physicality, and mental resiliency. That's Tom Izzo. Oh, and they hit their free throws. That's Tom Izzo basketball. That's vintage Michigan State basketball. Check, 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 check. But it starts with the defensive rebounding. I complain about it all the time, or I have been over the last few <laughs> years. Hats off when they do the job, and they did the job tonight in a tough environment against a very difficult opponent. All right, so number two key, strong with the ball. And you made a point that it's not just turnovers, but if we look at turnovers to start with, and we look at Michigan State had 19 turnovers, Kentucky 17. So, 18. Or, sorry, eight, 15. Yep, so 15. Is 18, 15. I'm looking at assists. So pretty much a push. Uh, you know, the guards, Hogard with five, not good. Walker with three. Uh, they're kind of early, I felt like, in the game. Uh, and then, you know, Hall had a four. He had a couple that were sort of dumb ones early. But, I mean, I guess you'd say that was kind of a, a push and, and not something that was a huge advantage to Kentucky because they had their share of turnovers, obviously, too. They had 15 of them. And some of them were big ones, too, later in the game. Yeah. Um, I thought that Michigan State's first half was rough and i unfortunately we don't have a one stat we don't have is a breakdown of when these occurred i know they had eight at halftime they ended with 18 but they also played an extra 10 yeah. minutes so i'm gonna assume it was probably close to an even even amount first half second half and then maybe a maybe one or two i don't think they turned it over a lot in the overtimes it didn't feel that way i'd have to go back and look at the play not play. the second overtime yeah or third yeah. overtime yeah. um or second yeah but uh, look, it's an area that has to get better. There's no question about that. But, you know, you mentioned one thing. Kentucky made their share of their own mistakes. So it wasn't a real big advantage. And when you do the job on the boards, it doesn't matter as much. Right. Yeah. 
I'm not even thinking about turnovers at the end of this game. Why? Because they did the job on the glass, which mitigates it. The problem has been we've had in the last couple of years, we've had the standard issue Michigan State turnover problem, but without the corresponding edge on the glass. And if that changes, then you don't worry as much. I don't worry as much, at least, about the turnovers. Um, They were really, you know, some of them were really dumb. They were a result of guys trying to force it and do too much. You know, AJ had his share of those. Um, where he's just saying it was one that just drove me crazy where he got out of transition, but it was one on three, and he just decided he was going to bowl to the basket. And it's just it's the, a decision that your veteran point guard has to be better in. He's got to make a better decision in those situations. You mentioned Malik. Mate. Malik, I, I will give a little more – um, a little more of a pass to because I know at least a couple of his were situations where he was trying to pass out of a double. Yeah. And the ball just got deflected on him. They, they're not ideal, but they, they weren't at the level where you're just shaking your head. They were at least in part a good defensive play. And, and, and here's the other mitigating factor too, and I'm not using this as an excuse, but this is a, a Kentucky team that I think is going to be really good defensively. And you saw why. I mean, the Wallace kid, eight steals, which I believe they said is a Kentucky program record. Yeah, That's bet. and he's good. I mean, he's he is legitimately good defense. He's good all the way around. I mean, I'm looking at his stats and he played himself a whale of a game. He played the most minutes too for their team. Yeah, forty four minutes. You're right. That's phenomenal. Um he, he's uh he's something else, but he's not alone. I mean, the Wheeler kid is good defensively. Um They've got some guys. I, I do think, and I don't know, as, as our resident Iowa fan, um, <laughs> what did you think about the way C.J. Frederick defended? Did it look any different to you? So I'll tell you this, and this shows you the evolution uh, of my wife in watching Iowa basketball. She's sitting there and she's saying, he should have stayed at Iowa because he can't defend anybody. Right. I, <laughs> and with, he was, he was just as bad out there. Uh, he was getting juked out of his shoes on one of those plays uh, and set up one of his, one of his teammates for had a foul as, as someone was driving late. I can't remember who it was. If it was Aikens or Walker, uh, <clears throat> he was, he was bad off of a pick and roll. He was getting behind players. So he was a liability. I mean, there's no question he was, you could, you saw him come out a number of times. And then I was surprised when, that he, they brought him in late in one of those, it was either the end of regulation or the end of the first overtime when they were uh, down one and they brought him in for the on the defensive end, which was very strange. Um, but, uh, you know, if he's not scoring, I don't know that he's going to play as much as he wants because he was certainly wasn't scoring this game. He was he was definitely, a, I don't know what, it, what his split was, but it could, it, minus 13. So, But that was most of the Kentucky players, actually, most of the starters because, you know, they lost. Here's what I think. I... Uh, clearly now Wheeler I thought would start this game he ended up not but he he played 40 minutes um I think when push comes to shove what you're going to see from them is uh Wallace and Wheeler both starting and Frederick is I, I thought that it might go the other way and that Wallace would settle into being a sixth man but if I'm John Calipari and, and I and if I know what John Calipari values which is the defensive end um, I don't think he can tolerate that. I think there's a role for Frederick, certainly. Sure. Because against lesser defensive teams, at least, um, he's going to kill people at times with the way he can shoot. But 
I don't think I don't see any justification for not starting Wheeler and Wallace. And I think that leaves him as as a sixth man, probably. But I, yeah, I thought he was terrible defensively. And that that helps him too, probably from a defensive standpoint, because he's playing against reserves more likely, and he's going to probably get more open looks. And it's going to be better for him. Uh, so I guess I don't care that much about Kentucky basketball, but you know, maybe we'll see him again. Um, so let's go on to next is deep ball. So I I think you know when we were doing the preview, both of us were pretty convinced that if Michigan State was going to win this game they were going to have to have a significant contribution from the three in order to get this done. And I guess you could argue, well, Joey did. But outside of Joey, Michigan State really had nothing going on deep. I mean, 7 of 19 for the game, uh, 37%, not bad, but not, you know, blistering. It's not like we were lighting it up. I mean, Kentucky was also hit 7. They took 25 shots, and so they shot uh, under 30%. So I don't know. It was kind of a push. It it wasn't it wasn't the difference, which is what I think both of us thought would have to be a big big margin for Michigan State to really pull this I'm, out. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you slightly. Um, if if what you're saying is well, they didn't win the game because they lit it up. Well, yeah, there's no argument. Seven made threes in a game is not lighting it up. Um, but I did think they needed to show more than they did in either of the first two games, one of which we'll give them a pass on, but they didn't shoot it all that well from three against Northern Arizona as a team either. I think tonight it mattered because so many of those threes came in moments where they had a big, big impact. They, they seemed, and I, again, I'd have to go back and rewatch the entire game, which wouldn't be a tough thing to do, honestly, but, <laughs> um, but uh, to know this for sure, but just watching it and thinking back in that game, it seemed to me, you know, Hauser, for example, two of Hauser's threes came, I, I mentioned a while ago, Kentucky's biggest lead was seven and it was yeah. 20 to 13, that portion of the game. And it was still fairly early it came at a point where it kind of felt to me, uh-oh, they might get this out to a double-digit working margin, and then it becomes, if you get to, you know, 10 points plus, you're fighting uphill just to get back in the game. Absolutely. And so many, so many times, even when a good team manages to get back in the game, they expend so much effort in doing so that they don't have enough left at winning time. We've seen we see it time and time again, both for and against Michigan State. There have been lots of games Michigan State's been way up, given a lead back. In fact, one came against Kentucky um, in 2013 because I saw Calipari talking about it in an interview. Um, that was um, that was uh, the 2000 yeah 2013 uh, or maybe it was 12. But in any event, it was the year. It must have been 13. It was a year Julius Randle was a freshman at Kentucky and MSU got out to like a 20 to two lead. There's smoke and Kentucky fought all the way back and got back in it until Appling made some big plays. Gary Harris made a big play late and they held him off. But I think you could look at that game and say, well, Kentucky just ran out of gas at the end because they had to expend so much energy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Michigan state at that stage of the game, as early as it was, it was, you know, Maybe, I don't know, not even midway through the, well, I guess it was probably right around the nine minute mark, something like that. Yep. 
Um, and Hauser hits two threes, and then they got a they got a two point basket from somebody else, and they turned a seven point deficit into a one point lead at twenty one twenty. And from that point forward, it was right in that tight, you know, five six point park pocket either way. Right. It never got out to that kind of margin again. And so Hauser's threes were huge shots momentum wise. So I do think, let's put it this way. If Michigan State came out and shot 20% from three in this game, we're not happy in this conversation, right? Safe, yeah. right? So I, I will grant you it wasn't the reason. You don't look back at it and say, man, they don't win that game at all unless they hit a ton of threes because they did so many other things well. They didn't need that. Yeah. But right. the three-point shot still mattered was a big factor and and they did well 37 percent against that opponent is solid i'll take that i've got to say joey's release on those threes so fast and he's up and he's tall it he's hard to guard i and uh and he, the arc he puts on that ball it's not one that's going to get blocked very often I, that one curly came off uh, in the first half. He, I didn't even know how he had a window, and yet he just, you know, it splashed down. I, he is really impressive, especially and coming off the curl in the second half for those those twos he was taking. Boy, if he maintains that confidence in that shooting, it, he's going to be – he's going to cause all kinds of problems because you saw that when he was playing pick and roll there. They're just They were just doomed. They had no – you know, you pick your poison there if you want Joey shooting or if you want it. Walker going past you, you know, to the bucket. one, one reason Michigan state has a chance to be, and it's not the only one, but one reason I think this has got a chance to be a very good offensive team is when, when Tom Izzo teams are typically at their best, and this is going back to the earliest stages of his tenure here, they have typically had really legitimate shooting threats at the four guys. You could play pick and pop with, and this team, the two guys who are likely to play pretty much all the minutes at that position, Joey Hauser and Malik Hall, can both shoot the three. Yeah. And and in Joey's case, you know, what, what held him back in his previous seasons was not inability to shoot. I think it was confidence. Well, he looks yep. like a confident player. And again, you can, you can take, you can choose to take a lot from the Gonzaga game. I'm not, and we'll see who ends up right <laughs> in the end. <laughs> what I see is a guy who I think is ready to go and is ready to have his best season as a collegian. And the same thing for Hall. And that's yeah. a real weapon to have offensively for any team. But but for Michigan State, it, you know, stretch fours are in vogue now. They weren't in 1998. And, and Michigan State had them then. You know, A.J. Granger, um, Adam Ballinger, uh, is Sutan. I mean, you go up, up at Draymond Green. You know, you go down, up and down the years, and you see the best offensive teams at MSU typically have guys at that spot who can do damage. And Michigan State definitely has that on this roster. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. And uh, you, the only thing you'd say about this team is, you know, they always say, oh, you got to have an alpha, you got to have a guy you can go to. But this team's going to have a bunch of double-digit scores, but unlike last year, where I think you had to pull teeth to get people scoring double digits, I feel like there are a lot of guys who could potentially score 25 a game, but there's so much balance that you don't need to have them to score that much. There's not going to be as much pressure, and so I think you get better shot selection. I mean, the way it looks right now, I mean, there are at least 
three or four or five players, you could see double digits. But again, a better offensive production in in general and more lethality than you had last year, just because you know they're just better. Here, here's the thing. I think what makes this it's a fair point to an extent. You would, if you think back to the great Michigan State teams, you can't think of any of them that didn't have a guy or two guys where you said, man, in a tough moment, that's the guy you put the ball in his hands and you let him operate, right? They've had, we, we, we all know the names. Um, it is fair to say this team does not have any one or two guys in that category, but what I think makes the difference with this group potentially is the guard play has gone from, you know, last year, a work in progress. It was sometimes it was good, sometimes not so good. And we all know the reasons why AJ's inconsistency, Tyson Walker, not being aggressive enough, Jade Nakins being a freshman. Well, now all those things are different. I mean, and, and let's not forget the job Tyson Walker did tonight. We haven't really talked a lot about him. Yeah. He was only four of 13 from the floor, but two for five from three, four for four at the line, um, had two blocks and a steal, six assists to three turnovers, and made big plays when it mattered and shook off. You know, he had those two possessions. I don't know if they were both in regulation or if one was in regulation and one toward the end of the first overtime, where there were big possessions and they got he got great looks in the middle of the lane. Yeah, and just couldn't him. finish. Yeah. Right. But he kept coming and he made plays. He had that one that was a steal uh, against Tashebway, where Tashebway had the ball on the block and looked like he was going to get another conversion. There was a huge play. Yeah. Um, but I think, anyway, to bring it back around to the point, I think the difference should be this team's guard play is good enough that they're going to make sure that it's somebody's night. It's either one of them or one of their teammates that they're creating for. If you yeah, catch yeah, my drift. Absolutely. I totally get that. I, I totally agree. So uh, fourth key of the game, transition game. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, fast break points, nine to five in advantage Michigan State, there was a little stretch where State got a couple in a row. And, and then I would say it wasn't that Michigan State wasn't pushing the ball well. Kentucky was just back and it was, uh, it, it was just good defense, I think, a good good prevent, you know, for the transition. So I don't think it was a negative for Michigan state. It was unfortunate. You weren't able to get as much going in the transition, but it was just not, it was just obviously a focus for Kentucky to not allow that to happen. I thought the first half, it was really good. Again, again, shades of the Gonzaga game. First half, Michigan state really pushed the ball. Well, second half it and the overtimes, it didn't happen as much, but even though I'm, positive they don't label it a fast break bucket the biggest one of the entire game was that inbound play yeah right at the end of the first overtime which ended with a Malik called dunk that in my mind you want to call it secondary break you don't want to call it transition at all fine I don't care what I saw <laughs> was Tyson Walker flying down the court making the right read and a guy finishing it with a dunk so I'll live with that um Give credit to Kentucky. It's a well-coached team. You, you had I, I posted at halftime on our board that um, I would like to see it the break sustained in the second half the way it wasn't against Gonzaga. Well, 
Kentucky took a page from Gonzaga. Yeah, they started here. playing that pressure, which isn't designed to force a turnover because there's not a lot of trapping in it. They're just looking to slow Michigan State down, and it was effective, at least off made baskets or or a, an out of bounds situation where they could set it up. They were better at at doing that. They stopped making uh, the mental errors that led to some easy buckets for MSU in in the first half in transition, but. Um, you know, I guess the only thing I would say on that front is I would like to see Michigan State, if teams are going to keep going to that, which they may, um, I would like to see Michigan State pushing a little more to punish people for that. Yeah, attack it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what the great Michigan State transition teams have always been able to do. Say, oh, you want to press? Fine. And, and by the way, within the Big Ten, I don't know whether this will continue, but there are some early signs that Brad Underwood is yep, up he's back. to a little bit of his old tricks. And I would love to see him do that. I'm begging <laughs> him to do that. But <laughs> but we need Michigan State to have the right mentality. Right. So we'll see. That's something to watch for. Yeah, right now it's still, they're kind of just getting sprung on them as a, almost a surprise uh, defense. And so I think they'll be... They'll start getting prepared to attack that more. So if yeah. use it consistently, you know, when you, when you've got film on someone, obviously Kentucky didn't have to do that against Duquesne or Howard. That out of bounds play, which again it's set up differently, but God, it was just I love, I love that call. It was so it was well executed, but it was so well designed that I I, I just can't get past it. I keep going back to thinking about that, and that's what you want to see more of: finding creative ways. To, even if teams are doing that just to try to slow you down, to say, eh, you're not going to slow us down. We're still going to find a way to get our point guard the ball and in the flow. Yeah, and the and the thing about that, too, is you really put a lot of pressure on the interior, and if you're trying to protect someone from fouling, you can really hurt yourself a lot defensively if you're trying to string out on the, the full-court press or you know, three-quarter court press. And so, yeah, it's a, it's risk benefit, right? If you make someone, if you punish someone enough times, they're going to stop doing it. And then you can get back to what you normally do. Well, the fifth key of the game, toughness, I don't know. How do you think they did? <laughs> <laughs> I really, yeah, I mean, this is, and I understand anybody who's a Michigan State fan who feels like a lot of the last two years has been, you know, about as much fun as a root canal. I get it. Cause I felt that way too. I mean, when we were doing the podcast, you know, essentially from January up until the, up until the big 10 tournament with a few exceptions, you know, like the Purdue win, let's say, yeah, right. Um, it was not a fun experience and it wasn't just the inconsistency or not winning enough. That, that's all there, but it was just, that it didn't feel the way we've come to know Michigan state teams to be the program to be that the ethic the, and, the, and the points of emphasis, the standards that have been in place for so long just didn't seem to be adhered to as much. And there are reasons for it. You know, the COVID thing played a huge part in it. And I know people want to say that sour grapes, everybody had to go through it. That's true. But programs are operated differently, and I will maintain that the way Michigan State builds and the way Tom Izzo does it, they got hurt more than some other programs by by what yep. that year did. And then last year, you're still trying to recover from that. 
and they just never, you know, it was just wasn't a great year. This group already is so much fun for me as a fan to watch because I'm seeing all of these things that we know Michigan State basketball is about. I mean, did you see there was a play? We, you know, we talked briefly about Jackson Kohler for a guy who didn't score. Oh, yeah, Run it, go on the floor. Yes, and Tom Izzo loved it, fist pumping. That's Michigan State. Monty Sissoko laying out. You know, that's Michigan State. And, and we have seen it now twice against top, top, top level opposition. There's no reason that we shouldn't continue to see it. There's no reason that it shouldn't be expected and demanded of them. And if they continue to deliver, this is good. This year is going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Right. And, and I wonder if the toughness comes from, I mean, I love Gabe Brown. I love Marcus Bingham. I love them. I mean, but I think the toughness comes from the seniors who are on the team right now. And I think Sissoko has it. I mean, that guy's got an edge. And I think that that sort of, you know, percolates. But even last year, I remember when he came on the court, he's only there four minutes and that it would transform sort of the way a team plays. Of course, he'd you know, get three fouls in eight minutes or something. But I feel like he he brings a lot of that, too. I think Walker is a different player this year with the aggressiveness. And I think he's got that. He definitely had the toughness, but he didn't you know show up much. And I think he definitely feels more comfortable in the system and. Anyway, it, I agree. It's going to be a fun year, and it's, it, is a, it is a different team than we've seen f- for quite a few years now. So it's going to be a great ride. Yeah, it's, it, it just feels and, – and look, they have to do this because they don't have for, – for all the strengths in their guard play, they don't have a Cassius Winston. They don't have that kind of figure on this team, that guy who can just – any situation you put the ball in his hands and say, this guy's going to make the play nine times out of 10, yeah. you know, they don't have, they don't have that to rely on. Um, so I think this is what it's got to be. It's got to be a collection of guys, a team effort where they are get they are getting things done via just flat out competing harder than, than most of their opponents. You know, and and if they can do that consistently, this yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun, and this team's gonna win a bunch of games, and they have no reason to put limits on what they can achieve. Yeah, I mean, I think the my my impression and my expectations in this this eight game slog, you know, we're two games in now, uh, much higher than they were before. I mean, I thought they'd do okay, but I did not expect them to compete at this level. I certainly did not think a Kentucky would be a win. And the fact, especially after we talked about in the preview, I'm like, this is going to be a meat grinder. You know, this is a, this is a buzzsaw. I will admit, I thought, I thought that there was a possibility that I didn't think they'd get blown out, but I thought there was a possibility. This could be one of those 10 to 12 point losses that they're in it, but you never really feel like yeah, there's right. there's a realistic shot that they're going to win. I could see that because I truly do believe Kentucky <laughs> is really, really good. Michigan State was just better and made them look not as good as I think they actually are. And and that's a yeah, that's a real tribute. Now, you know, you're right. Your, your perspective now changes on this, but it also puts a little bit more of an onus on Michigan State. So mm-hmm. the next one up come back to the Breslin Friday night, right? Against, uh, against Villanova. Okay. Villanova is a name program to be sure they're off to a terrible start. 
They lost. They got a couple key guys out. They lost one game already, and then they barely held on against. I think it was Delaware State the other night. So Villanova is not coming in here filled with confidence. But I still tend to think that there are enough guys around that program that have been part of winning that even down a couple guys, you can expect that they're going to give a very, very good effort. So if you're Michigan State, you're playing that game at home, you need to win that. Yep, no question. and And then you go the following week, you go out to Portland, you got Alabama, the the mad bombing uh, uh, Nate Oates, um, you know, and you you get out there and you compete with that team, and then you now you I think most MSU fans coming into the season were thinking, well, well maybe we can get one in like the losers bracket. Yeah, right. Well, right now, why do you why do you think about anything? You think go out there and win the first one. Let's see what happens. Absolutely, no question. You know? Yeah. And then you got Notre Dame on the road. Well, they ought to beat. I don't care if it's a home or on the road. They ought to beat Notre Dame. Kelly Trapuca is walking through that door. (laughs) Boy, you are dating yourself, my friend. Well, back (laughs) to the last time Notre Dame was really relevant. (laughs) Wow. Fortunately, my friends who are Notre Dame fans weren't listening to the show. Uh, So we'll come back to you in a couple days. We're going to come back with the Villanova preview. As we head back to the Brussels Center, I'm looking forward to my ice cream sandwich, and uh, hopefully the heckler won't show up, but he's been there every game, and I suspect he'll be there again. Uh, again, uh, if you want to support the show, please come to our website. Go to tffinots.com support. We appreciate that. We're very humbled. We're now a top, top 40, top 50 basketball podcast in America, and that's all thanks to you listeners uh, sharing this, obviously, with your friends, making sure you're listening all the time. Uh, with other Spartan fans, come on our website at the final four is not the schedule.com. You can go join our forum for free and interact with Rod and me and all the other Spartan fans there. We talk basketball, especially as this team gets more exciting. I think uh, it's going to be a great season. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know. I, I don't know more to say, except, you know, I'm just looking forward to things going on and I'm looking forward to Friday night. So until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. Go green. <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.